Um, we're going to say one quick chapter of Tehillim. Um, because um, we care about Priscilla very, very much. And hopefully Hashem says it can be for Hashem. What am I hearing? Okay. We're going to say one chapter of Tehillim. We're going to start. Shir Lama Alot, Esayinai Le'arim, Me'ayin Yavo Ezri, Ezri Me'im Adonai, Ose Shamayim Va'aretz, Ayiten Lamor Aglecha, Ayanum Shomerecha, Hine Lo Yanu Velo Yishan, Shomer Yisrael, Adonai Shomerecha, Adonai Tzilcha, Ayad Yeminecha, Yomam Hashem Eshlo Yakeka, Ve'yareach Ba'la'ela, Adonai Yishmorcha Mikora, Yishmor Enavshecha, Adonai Yishmor Tzedcha Uboyecha, Me'ata Ve'adola, Amish Berach Ve'imotin Osrar V'karach Ve'adu Rabba Ve'gal, Ho'yubarech Ve'yubeh Ve'shosan Who's getting tired of this? It's only 11, 10 months now. It's crazy. It's really crazy. Okay. Thank you very much for coming. Today's class is dedicated, you know, sometimes, a lot of times we have class dedicated by people that are, I almost want to say part of my new life, like part of my life once we moved to Brooklyn and started giving classes and and all of those things, and became a rabbi in the community, and all of that that came along with it. Um, but this dedication is in memory of someone from sort of my old life, from when I was a kid. Growing up, my father was the rabbi of the Lawrence Avenue Shul, and there used to be a man who lived on Lawrence Avenue, who we loved very much, very dearly. His name was Albert Montague, Al Montague, Allah wa shalom, Abraham ben Esther. And... We used to, he's very much missed by his family, but he's also missed by us, his friends. I, I always remember my father's relationship with him. I remember how my father respected him, how intelligent he was, how worldly he was, how respectful he was, the kind of dignity and character that this man had. So it really is a tremendous honor for today's class to be dedicated um, by his daughter, Helen Montague Antar, in memory of her dad, in memory of Al Montague. And inshallah, our Torah should be elevation for his neshama. And his memory and his dignity and his character is very much etched in our minds forever. Amen. So, a few days ago, a woman came over to me, exasperated exasperated about some, something that was going on in her sister's life. Something very sad was happening in her sister's life. And she was very animated about it, very emotional about it, very caring about it. And I'm listening to her talk. And I said, you know what, she kind of needs the class that we gave about a month ago, ago called The Gift. I don't know if you recall that class. It was about the gift of indifference, that there are some people who have that gift that things don't phase them that much, they don't get worked up that much, and she kind of needs that right now, like she needs to be able to not be phased. And then, <clears throat> excuse me, and then, as I'm listening to her talk, I said, you know what, 
maybe she doesn't need the class. Because maybe the class won't relate to her at all. Because she's obviously not one of those people born with the gift. She's not born with that mindset of indifference. And the truth, I can relate. Because I'm also not born with the gift. I'm not born with the gift of indifference. I don't have that ability. Is there any way I could get water? Because my voice keeps going. But I need a cup. I don't like drinking it out of them. You have a straw? I'm not drinking out of the... Uh, thank you. You have a straw. Okay. Is there, is there a cup? That's funny. If there's a cup. Thank you very much. I appreciate it very much. So to give her... To say that she needs to have the gift is very hard because some of us, many of us, aren't born that way. We're not wired that way. If you recall the class, I kept telling you how my wife is, and I'm not. I'm not wired to not care that the phone just rang. I'm not wired to be that way. I just am the kind of person that it bothers me. I think about it. I care about it. I get emotional about it. A lot of times it's good because I'm compassionate to someone else's problem or what someone else is feeling and someone else is thinking. I don't always have this gift. And this parent I'm talk person I'm talking to who is very clearly a wonderful person also doesn't have the gift. So my question today, thank you very much. Thank you. My question today is what do you do when you were not born with the gift? So if you heard that class, wonderful. And if you relate to it, wonderful. And if you semi-relate to it, and even if you don't fully relate to it, there's what to learn from it. Wonderful. It was an important class. But my class today is for those of us that are normal, healthy, emotional, sometimes confused, sometimes anxious people. What do we do when we're not blessed with the gift? When we don't have this indifference? So to answer this question, Amen. I want to ask you just one question on this week's parasha, the final parasha in the book of Bereshi, parasha Vayichi. Yaakov Avinu tells all his sons to surround his bed. And what seems to be in the last few moments of his life, he blesses every son. My question is, why wait till the end? Why couldn't you bless them when you were 100 years old? Why couldn't you bless them when you're 110 or 120? Or even once they're all back together and you got to Egypt when you were 130 years old. Why wait all the way to when you're 147 to bless them? So we're going to answer our, this question in a minute. But we're going to answer our original question based on a little thought someone sent me. An email correspondence between a rabbi and it seems to be one of his constituents in Australia. The rabbi's name is Rabbi Moss. I have no idea if he's good. He seems to be Chabad. I don't know if he's good, not good. I don't know. But this is his correspondence, and the concept I think that he shares is wonderful. The man says he's studying the book of Tanya. That's the, one of the original books of the Lubavitch. And he says, and it's fascinating. He said, and I'm stuck on this one idea that it says that you could control your behavior and your speech and your actions, which I understand. But he also says you can control your thoughts. The man asking the question says, I don't agree. 
we can control what we do or what we say, but how can I control what I think? I can't control what pops into my head. And he says, by the way, I'm resending this email because I sent it to you two weeks ago, so I'm kind of sending it again. I didn't get a response. I'm just wondering, Rabbi, if you can respond. And here was the rabbi's answer. He says, I apologize for not resending right away. He says, but I actually did receive it the first time. But I ignored it. I didn't even open it. And that was on purpose. It was deliberate. I decide which messages I open and which I don't. Just because an alert pops up on my screen doesn't mean I need to react to it. I may not be able to control the messages that arrive in my inbox, but I, could concer I certainly can control which ones I open. And I didn't open yours. Do you see where he's going? He says that's the answer to your question. By my not answering your question is the answer to your question. You may not be able to control the thoughts that pop into your head. But you can control which emails you open, which thoughts you open, and which thoughts you don't. Which ones you allow in, and which ones you choose to ignore. Because yes, little things are going to pop into your brain all the time, but you have the power to decide how much it stays in your brain, how much you address it in your brain, how much strength you give it into your brain. And what's going to happen is unless you're a very holy person, person, you're going to experience a lot of bad thoughts on a normal, regular basis. Some of them will be about you. I'm a loser. I'll never accomplish anything. And sometimes they'll be about other people. I'm going to kill that guy. But some of those thoughts could even be pretty ugly. I will not have, ever have the power to decide which ones flash into my brain. But I will have the power to decide which ones I open. This is for all of us that don't have the gift. If you have the gift, those thoughts don't even pop into your head. Competitive, anxious, compassionate thoughts, they, they just go right by your brain. But if you don't have the gift, like me and I'm sure many of you, if you don't have the gift, you have thoughts bouncing around in your brain constantly. That's not a problem. That's okay. It means you're human. It means you have emotions. It means you're alive. But you then decide which ones you keep and which ones you address, which ones you give strength to. There's a Gemara in Sota. The Gemara talks about, which the Homa Sechet is about, if a man who's married is not sure if his wife is doing the proper thing or not. So he warns her. The Gemara says, is that warning coming from a good place or a bad place? One opinion says it comes from a Ruach Tahara. It's coming from a good place. He wants to make sure that his home is strong and holy and good. And other opinion says it's coming from a bad place. It's coming from jealousy and anxiousness and lack of trust. It's coming from a bad place. And then the Gemara says, but there are some opinions who say it's a mitzvah to warn her. Make sure you're careful. Don't do the wrong thing. You're doing the wrong thing. I'm talking about something very immoral. I'm not being descriptive on purpose. Very immoral. Says, some say it's a mitzvah to warn her. Says the Gemara. It's a, if it's a mitzvah to warn her, how could that thought be a ruach tum'ah? How could it be a mitzvah to bring these thoughts into my mind? A friend of mine who I haven't spoken to in 30 years 
happened to call me up. The only reason I answered the phone is because I thought it was somebody else. He happened to call me up. And I answered the phone, and he said, Joey, I want to tell you, we're talking, this, that, his kid's getting married, wonderful, Mabruk, great. He says, I'll tell you a thought from this Gemara. I said, what's the thought? He says, you realize the Gemara says that if it's a Ruach Tum'ah, if it comes from a bad place, if it comes from jealousy, then how could it be a mitzvah to bring up this thought into my mind? He says, what do you mean bring up the thought? The thought's already there. I already have the emotion. He says, it must be what the Gemara is saying, is even though I already have the emotion, that doesn't mean it's there. It's not there until I bring it up and act on it. Until I decide to click and open it. Until I decide to not just have that fleeting thought, but to go and stop and obsess over it. That's when it becomes a thought. Before that, it's not a real thought. It's okay. You're allowed, any human being, if you have competitive thoughts, if you have anxious thoughts, you're a normal person. You don't need to hold on to it. You have the power to let it go. So the next time you have a jealous thought, and it comes at the head, and you think he's suddenly jealous. And I'm like, oh, I can't believe it. That person has that. I don't have it. And, and, you, feel, and you think, okay, now just, that doesn't mean you just now have to be consumed by it. You can say, okay, I had this thought, let it go. I feel anxious. I'm really nervous. Like I'm nervous. Okay, I know I feel nervous right now. Just because I am not my thoughts. I know I had the thought. Doesn't mean I'm controlled by it. Okay, I'm going to let that nervous thought go. I'm allowed to be able to do this. The Svorno says... What's going on? It's offline. Like it went out, so I have to try to get it back on. Why? Well, I don't know why. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so. I'm going to keep trying. I mean, I'm going to disturb you, but I want I know, but we used both. Okay, let's see what happens. You're not disturbed. The Swarno writes that our forefathers specifically gave blessings at the end of their life. He says, you know why? Because at the end of your life is when you have the most perspective. Is when you best know which one of these thoughts are important and meaningful, and which ones were a complete waste of time. He says at the end of a person's life, when he's almost separated from this world, and has one foot in the next, the mind, the brain, the soul is more spiritual, and that's when the blessings are the most powerful. Let me give you a strange example. So, I have plenty of, I obviously have thousands of Sephardi in my house, but I also have a bunch of Secular books, books on business and health, self-help and stuff like that. I have a lot of those. So there's one book that I keep seeing over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. That like it's just, it's around, it's been around for many, many years. And like I keep bumping into it. I'm like, gosh, I read it now. National bestseller, international bestseller, number one New York Times bestseller. I, I don't know. I said, okay, I finally, maybe I'm going to read this book a little bit. The title of the book is Tuesdays with Maury. Anyone know that book? It is the worst book of all time. It is so morbid and so sad and so every... What is it? What's the story? The story is there's this professor. His name is Maury. He's in his 70s. He gets ALS. 
and his old student spends Tuesdays with him over a few months. Every Tuesday he flies into the professor's town, into his house, and he meets with him, and he takes notes about life. Half the book is about notes about life, maybe a third of it. The other two-thirds are describing the professor's deterioration. Today he can't walk, today he can't move his arms, today he can't move his eyes, and that until he finally passes away. And I'm like, wow, this is the book? Like, they read it into high school, like. Let kids live a little before you tell them about ALS. But anyhow, that's the book. Why is the book such a cherished book? Why is it a book that people read? Everyone here in the room knows the book, right? I said the book, Most pe- a lot of people here reacted. You've heard the name of the book. Part of it is because the name Maury is like, it sticks out in Tuesdays with Maury. It's a very round, random sound, a sounding name. But there's, uh, there's another reason why I think this book took on so much. Because what this guy does at, in those talks at the last few months of his life is helps this young student of his, who's not so young at that point, maybe he's in his 40s or 50s, helps this young student realize the difference between the thoughts that deserve focus and obsession and the thoughts that don't. And as life progresses, you start to get better at this. Because you start to have more clarity, you start to have more focus, and you start to say this little jealousy thing, like, it's not even worth it. I'm so anxious about this. Why why am I caring so much? I get it. I had the thought. I'm not going to beat myself up for thinking it. I'm just going to press delete and let it go. Yitzchak Avinu blesses his sons. Famous blessing. The whole Yaakov comes in to get it instead of Esav. The Pasuk, when discussing it, says, Vaiki zaken Yitzchak. Yitzchak became old. And his eyes, and he became, wasn't able to see. Why? What's the, what's the connection? What's the association between the blindness and now, the, and he's old, and now he's going to give the blessings? Now you see it. Because when he's older, and he has some level of blindness, meaning he's not being pulled in by all of world's issues, even though you're talking about a man who was always holy. But now he got to a point where none of these little things register matter anymore. Now he's ready to bless. Abraham says the same thing. Abraham is Abraham was old. And Hashem blessed Abraham with everything. What do you mean when he became old, he was blessed with everything? And the commentaries, we probably discussed this in this class, that one pasuk, maybe a hundred times in this class over the years. But I think now we have a new perspective. When Abraham was Zaken, now that he's older, now he realizes all the blessing he has. The shame is so often you look at a young person who has everything and you're like, you're so, your brain is so mangled. Your brain is so twisted. You have so many thoughts in your head that you're allowing to liuli, you're allowing it to come up and stay there and you're focusing on it and you're opening it and you're obsessing over it. What I wanted to tell this woman who is so exasperated by her sister and say, here, listen, here's the story. Can you help what can you do to help? Identify what you can do to help and help, and that's it. Don't lose your mind. You can't. But it comes from caring and, and, and warmth. I understand. Don't lose your mind. That's not what you put it to do. You know, we always read stories about Gedolim and great rabbis, how much they care. Let me tell you how much sometimes they don't care. 
And I know that sounds so not nice and so disgusting, but I want to tell you the story because the stories that you see are so distorted. You go to Rabbi Chaim Kanievsky, you have the biggest problem of all time. He tells you, Bua, that's it, which means Bracha Vahatzlacha. That's it. You want him to say, I'm crying, I feel so bad. Oh, really? Your son is sick? He just says, Bua, next. And you know what happens? He has maybe a one hour or two hour window that he meets people. And when that window closes, you can't come in. Why? Because he's learning Gemara for the billionth time. I'm not exaggerating. He's learning Masech Tot sometimes that he's learned two, three, four hundred times. So in order to learn Masechet Ketuvot for the four hundredth time, he's not going to hear your problem. It sounds not nice. It's not not nice. What can I do for you? I'm going to do what I can do for you. I'm not going to get exasperated. So it's his greatness that he's an older man. And every single day, he has people you know, warning him. And he gives them some part of his time. He doesn't give him all his time. He's not losing his mind. Great kid or lean? No, they're not. Always they do what they do. And then, and then they want, can I help? Yes. Can I give the person money? Can I give the person advice? Can I give them a reference? Let me do it. Otherwise, I'm not falling apart over your problem. And I don't mean that in an obnoxious way. I don't mean that in a cold way. I mean that in how to train your brain kind of way. That what life goes on as perspective happens, you realize you can't shoulder everybody else's challenges. And you can't shoulder everybody else's problems. You identify what challenges they have. I don't care if it's your sister or your brother. You identify what challenges they have. What can I do about it? I'll do something about it. The rest of it, I am moving on to the next email. Do I sound cold right now? I just wonder if I sound a little bit. It's our nature. We can't help. Right, listen, I, let me be clear who you're talking to. Okay? You're talking to someone who's born the same way. I am the worst. If I'm honest, I am the worst. The worst. I, I, again, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I, I wasn't going to say this, but I think I've said it a lot of times. I'll say it in here. This class here, over the years, on average, one woman a week, every week a different woman, comes over and cries. On average. Some weeks two, some weeks none. But on average, woman comes over and cries. Now when I first started giving this class and I was young, I would walk out, here's this woman crying about her husband, about her father, about her sister, her brother, her kid. I, I would be like, really shaken up, shaken up, like Azita, I feel, you know, right? Right, the right thing, right? You're totally in agreement with me right now. Right, you're totally locked up with me. And then, you know what I started to realize? She's got her way of dealing with it. Maybe her husband's been annoying for 30 years. She knows she, she's got it. She's got it handled. I understand it's a problem. She's been fighting with her mother since she's born. Like it's not new. So I care. Maybe I could give a little bit of advice. Maybe I can again have a reference. I really do care. Don't get me wrong. But to lose my mind over it is crazy. And if you see how great Gedolim handle other people's problems, of course they care. Please don't make this the first class you ever heard of mine. Because of course they care. And of course you need to care. I'm not telling you not to care. But I'm telling you that when you lose it, when you open up that email and now get so allow it to control your brain, you're the one who's losing. Someone gave me this article from the New York Times. Obviously, this year has been a pretty tough year, right? Someone, would you think 2020? 
Right? We, we're ready for it to go. Right? Inshallah, Alamak, 2020. And I got this, by the way, I got this little thing, this little, um, someone sent this, you know, they sent you the WhatsApp videos, there's some little video of the best moments of 2020. And then you click and click and click, and it doesn't click. I don't agree with that picture. 2020 was unbelievably rough. But to think that there was no beauty in 2020, I disagree. I think there were a lot of wonderful moments in 2020. Again, not to minimize the challenge, but there were a lot of wonderful moments in 2020. So in this article in the New York Times, someone says that, you know what a lot of us are doing did during the course of this year? Is that we relied, we leaned on the wisdom of elders. And so in this article of elders, in this article, this woman writes some of the best advice different people have gotten from elders. Elders means people older than you. Okay. I got oh Elvis. <laughs> Delete that. Delete that. Okay. He left the building. Let's keep going now. <laughs> Say, here's what the New York Times say. Here's what he said. One person said, one person said, there's, I, maybe it's a quote from Shakespeare, I'm not sure, but she said she got it from her mom, was, there's nothing either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. And that's really what is the essence of what we're telling you here. There's nothing good or bad, but thinking makes it so. And even if the thought comes into your brain, it doesn't mean you need to think it or you need to obsess over it. Get into something else. You all of a sudden have this jealous feeling or this competitive feeling or very anxious feeling. Okay, so maybe it's hard to just sit in your bed and not think about it, but get involved in something. I don't know, go, go do a chesed project. Get busy. Do something else to, fo to refocus your energy and put your energy over there. One woman said she learned this little lesson. It's the most random lesson, but it's, it's such a beautiful one. From, from her mom, who was a mother of nine and lived and supported all nine on a teacher's salary. She said one time she was frosting a cake and it looked like she was going to run out. And she told her daughter, act, always proceed as if there's going to be enough. Always proceed as if there's, there's going to be enough. It's a wonderful mindset. Again, but usually you get these mindsets from wiser, older people. They may not be smarter than you. And you think, I'm smarter because I know what the world is like today, and I'm going to conquer the world, and I'm going to accomplish, and I'm going to create, and I'm going to produce, and I'm going to do, and you know, my old grandma, she's older, she's kind of, life is passed her by. It's not life is passed her by, the nonsense passed her by. The things, the waste of brain space has passed her by. She looks at the things she cares about, she focuses on that, and everything else, she just doesn't open that email anymore. Yeah, I'm just, I don't care, it doesn't matter, I have to look busy, I don't have to sound interested. I don't have to get all anxious. Whatever. That's what we need a little bit of that. I'm not going to save it. I'm not going to fix it. I'm not going to resolve it, stop it, judge it, change it, or teach it. I'm just going to be, just going to let it go. There's a 
Mishnah. Mishnah writes in Pekeh Avot that there's one kind of person who's easy to anger, but easy to appease. He's decent. Another person is hard to anger, but very hard to appease. So once you get that guy angry, watch out. And then there's another person who is what, there's easy and hard and hard, whatever this, I'm not giving you all the ones. There's another person who's easy to anger and hard to appease. That person's impossible. That person, every day they're angry and they never calm down. You may be related to those. That's one. And then, I hope you're not married to it. And then, there's one who's hardest to anger and easy to appease. That means they don't get that angry. And when they get angry, they get appeased pretty quickly. The Mishnah calls the person a chasid, a righteous person. This Rabbi Avram Azulai asks a question. He says, he says, the righteous person should be a person who never angers. Why do you say that easy to anger, excuse me, hard to anger and easy to appease? That's nice, but there's a level higher than that. He says, no, no, no. This is the highest level for human beings. The highest level of human beings is, yes, every now and then, you get a little upset. But you get appeased pretty quickly. That's a chasid. Higher than that is a malach. Yes, there are people that have that gift. There are people that are like that. That never, ever, ever, ever get angry. It's semi-angelic. But then there's human beings like you and me. I don't mean you, but I mean me. So there are human beings that, you know what? That sometimes we get angry. If we're easy, to, if we're slow to anger, and we're easy to appease, that's also righteous. That means every now and then, a bad thought or exasperating thought or angering thought goes into our head, and we quickly let it go. That's also a fantastic and amazing and powerful thing. <sighs> Let me give you a few thoughts to conclude. We start so late. I'm so mad at myself. I'm not. I'm going to let it go. <laughs> I want to tell you what life is about. With a little story from Elisha. It will probably be another 10 minutes. A little story from Elisha. It's a very famous story. Elisha is one of the greatest prophets of all time. In the book of Melachim, a woman comes over to him. The woman has lost her husband. She has two sons that were taken as slaves because of her extreme debt. What should I do? Elisha says, here's what you should do. What do you have in your house? She says, I have nothing besides one little cup of oil. He says, here's what you need to do. Fill your house with as many jugs. Anyone know the story? Fill your house as many jugs and as many barrels and as many pitchers and buckets as you can. Fill the whole house with as many as you can. Okay, and then what? And then take that little cup of oil and start pouring. And that's what she did. And she started pouring into one bucket and the next and the next. And she kept pouring and pouring and the oil never stopped. And she kept pouring and pouring and pouring until finally she got up to the last one. And she tells her son, son, is there any more buckets? She's, my, this boy says, no, sorry, ma. There's no no more buckets left. So, and then the oil stopped. That's the story. And she took the oil and she sold it and she made money and she brought her children back and everything happily ever after. But what I think is the message of this story is this is how Hashem treats light with you. Hashem has so much blessing to give you. You have to be an open cup.
You have to be an open bucket. You have to be open to that blessing. If you fangle and mangle your brain and you mess up your thoughts and all you are is anxious and competitive and angry and frustrated and nervous and jealous, there's no space to put beracha. But if you can allow your brain to get clear, even if sometimes it gets full with nonsense, if you can empty it out and clear up your brain, Hashem has so much oil and so much beracha to pour into it. Someone sent me this little video. There was a man, apparently he was a famous, famous violinist, Etzik Perlman. And he was, is he famous? And he had polio as a kid. And one time when he was older, he was playing in front of a large audience and he had a, had a violin and he's playing with a violin and the violin has full violin and he's playing all of a sudden, everyone in the crowd hears a pop. One of the strings broke of the violin. Now, anyone who plays violin, no, you can't play with three strings. You need four strings. Four, bizarre, there's four. You, you need four strings in order to make... And he just kept playing. And he kept playing, and he kept playing with so much heart and so much energy. By the time he was done, it was the most beautiful performance of his life. The whole audience stood up and gave him a standing ovation and a tremendous round of applause. And then they asked him to speak. And he got up and he said one line. One line that's true about the violin, but it's much more true about life. Our job is to make music with what? remains. Our job is to make music with what remains. Take what you got, open it up to Hashem's blessings, to Hashem's berachot. You know, when Yaakov Avinu left Yosef, what are you doing? Oh, thank you. When Yaakov Avinu left Yosef, thank you, he left him with Teaching him the laws of Egla Arufa. Egla Arufa means, what's the law of Egla Arufa? And then Yosef would hint it to him 22 years later when he sent back the wagons. What's Egla Arufa? It's a law that if someone, if there's a dead body between two cities, the rabbis of each city have to, have to sort of take, if it's close to one city, that the rabbis of that city, the leaders, have to take responsibility for that dead body. Good. That's the last law he learned. Now Yaakov Avinu Lassi's parasha finds out Yosef is still alive and he says these words. The first thing he says, I need to go see him beterem amut. I need to go see him before I die. That's a very funny or strange, unique term to say. I need to see him before I die. And then when he finally sees him, you have this very, very famous midrash that Yaakov and Yosef embrace and he cries. Who cries? Yosef cries. Yaakov doesn't cry. Why doesn't Yaakov have been to cry? Anyone know why Yaakov doesn't cry? Everyone knows. Because he was saying Shema Yisrael. That's how you greet your son after 22 years saying Shema Yisrael. Figure out another time. Say it before, say it later. Why are you saying it then? The answer, I think, is this. As Yaakov Avinu, when he was sending Yosef away, he knew he was sending this boy that one day is going to be on the road to leadership. The first thing he needs to show him about leadership is the rule of Egla Arufa. There's a dead body outside your city. You take responsibility. You need to care. And so, yes, Yosef, when he sees he's going to send the message back to his father, he sends it back with wagons. I learned your lesson. I live by your lesson. I'm a leader in Egypt, but I live by the idea of caring. And I live by the idea of compassion. Now Yaakov says, I need to teach him the next lesson. The lesson that comes before death. You know what that lesson is? Not to care. 
I need to teach them the lesson to not become, get crazy over sight, to let certain things go. And therefore, when he sees his son, after 22 years, that everybody knows the love for him is unbelievable, when he sees that son, what he does is, is he shows his son that even though everyone knows how much love I have for you, I can control my emotions. Even when I haven't seen you in 22 years, I can say Shema when I first see you. Because I have control of how I feel. I decide which thought I take and which thought I don't. And he's proudly sending him this message because he knows one day Yaakov Avinu is going to pass away. And he doesn't want Yosef to take out anger or jealousy or competitiveness or revenge on his 11 brothers. So he says, I need, first I need to teach you the lesson of compassion. Now I need to teach you the lesson of control of your emotion. Even if you're emotional, even if you're quote-unquote normal, I need to teach you how to open yourself up for blessing. I've seen so many people who have lives that literally are shut completely from Beracha. Their head is so mixed up, is so confused, is so angry, is so frustrated on a lot of things that they're right about. Like, it's not like they're wrong. They're right about it. They care. They should care. They're angry the other person did wrong them. They're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. But look at you. Look at you. You've allowed all of these thoughts to become part of you and to control you and to own you that you've completely shut the lid on Beracha. We need to, even if you're not born with the gift, very few people are born as angels. Very few people are born with the gift of indifference. But all of us have control of our thoughts. All of us have the ability to let go of a thought, to have a thought come into our head for a minute, for an hour, for a day, even for a week and even for more and for us to say I'm going to focus my energy somewhere else it's not I'm not a bad person because I had that thought I'm a human being I'm allowed to have that thought Yaakov Avinu taught his son how to care and then he taught his son how to not care he taught his son how to always be compassionate and then he taught him how to not let that emotion go too far that's the lesson all of us need to live by even if you weren't born with the gift you can live Live by this thought process and this mindset and this mentality. Let me give you the story. There's another story that's going around. Maybe you've seen it, but it's incredible because, and I'll tell you why this story is so important to what we're saying right now. There was a town in Greece called Thessaloniki, if I'm pronouncing it right. Thessaloniki, that's what it is. Town in Greece. It was a port town. They had, they would import things back and forth. It was many, many Jews, religious Jews lived in the town. Maybe 60,000 religious Jews lived in the town. It was so observant that the whole port would be closed on Saturdays. Because even great rabbis lived there. And then World War II came, and Nazi Germany came along, and Hitler and came and wiped out almost the entire town. Almost every single person in this little town, this port town of Greece, was completely wiped out and killed. There were a few families that remained. One of them was a family called the Berla family. In 1961, this Berla family had a son. The son's name was Abraham or Albert, Jewish boy. His name was, they named him Albert. They, Albert eventually would grow up and get involved in medicine. And he would, at the age of 34, he would get married to a Jewish girl and move to the United States of America. He went to college, I believe, outside. And in 2019, one year ago, he became the CEO of Pfizer. 
the famous pharmaceutical company. And he spent the last year of his life putting all his energies into building a vaccine. And they created a vaccine, and that's pretty much going to help save the entire world. One day, if we're going to take it or not going to take it, uh, here's my thought about taking it, by the way. Here's my little thought process. If you could get a shot from Dr. Fariwa, you could take the vaccine. <laughs> but anyhow, that's my thought. So, uh, <laughs> so it's going to save the world. What this Albert Berla did is that the first few thousand vaccines he shipped to Israel. And that's why Israel is the first country to get it, because in memory of his grandparents and to honor where he came from, the fact that he was Jewish. The point is this. Hashem was going to destroy this whole city. He kept alive a couple of random people. And one of those people, 70 years later, would save the world. That's how Hashem is running it. So when you watch those of us who get all up in arms about something we're angry about, or something we're right about, or something we're jealous about, or something we're nervous about, it's like you forgot who's in control. It's like you forgot that Hashem's running this whole game. It's like you forgot you're going to fix it, you're going to solve it. No, Hashem made a world, there's a whole load of good, and there's a whole load of challenges, and a whole load of problems, and little old you isn't solving much of it. So you lead your life the way you're supposed to lead it, and when there's something you can help, do it. But for everything else, delete it. Everything else, allow your brain to let it go. You need to live this way because this is the only way to open yourself up for Beracha. Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov would all bless their children. They would bless their children when they were in old age and almost left this world because the blessing they want to give them is a blessing of how to live. And that way to live is open yourself to Beracha every single day. The only way you can open up yourself to Beracha is if you have this perspective. You may not be born with the gift, but every one of us has the power to decide which email we open. Thank you very much.